the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Paul has been addressing the Corinthian fellowship and earlier the divisions in that fellowship. They had become carnal. And as I have said many times, carnality in the church is simply them adopting a man-centered theology where man's closeness and approach to God, his service to God is based on what he does rather than on Christ based on who they affiliate themselves with, what doctrine they embrace, what they call their specific pathway to God rather than Christ. That's carnality. That is fleshly religion. And they had become that. In fact, now they were attaching themselves to different personalities in the church. And Paul, in in the uh, previous verses, names those personalities. But Paul makes it clear that it was his ministry was not one of baptism. And he brings that out because in that day and time, a baptism was a symbol of being of like faith and devotion as the one who baptized and associated you with the one who baptized. And Paul says, I'm not here. I'm not about baptism. That is not my ministry. Paul makes it clear that He was here to preach the gospel. He makes it clear that this ministry was not a work of flesh, but the unique work of God. And he says, Paul writes, he says, I came to speak the truth, to preach the gospel, not with eloquence, lest the cross of Christ should be deprived of force and emptied of power and rendered vain, fruitless, void of value and of no effect. Not with eloquence. It's interesting to note that Paul makes a comment about his lack of eloquence in several places in, in his letters. And what Paul, is, what Paul is illustrating when he brings this point out is he wants you to understand something. He was called by God to enter into the ministry of the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God might move men's hearts, that he might participate as a disciple of God, of Jesus Christ, and a believer in the work of God. God did not call Paul to be the instrument of salvation. That was Jesus' job. God called Paul to be a vessel through which the Spirit of God brought salvation, the gospel message 
to the people. And Paul says, I want you to understand something. As you look at my ministry, as you look at, at the different churches that I'm from, as you look at my position as an apostle, I want you to understand something. None of this work was because of my eloquence. It's an interesting comment because Paul was the first pastor of this church. The second pastor was Apollos. And Apollos was known for his eloquence. He was quite the speaker. But Paul had to draw them back to the truth that this was not the work of man. This was not about what man could do or what he could, what he could bring about through his own effort. This was literally a singular work of God. Only God himself could bring salvation. Only God himself could bring them to truth. The understanding and the receiving of the gospel message is literally an interruption of the Spirit of God in the life of a blind, sinful man. It's an interruption. Do you know, apart from the Spirit of God, we wouldn't have any desire to know Him. Did you know that? He chose us. He chose us and He desired us before we ever desired Him. It, the Spirit of God literally interrupts the thoughts, the activity of sinful man to give him this revelation that he might know his need and that he might know God's provision. That's his job. You know what? I'm grateful for that because I know that the work of God is never dependent upon what I do. I get to participate in it. I get to be yielded and allow that life to flow through me. I get to watch the work of God just like I watched that whole process with my children being born. I got to watch that process, the process that was put into place by God before time began, that was literally being played out before my eyes. And that's what a minister does. That's what a minister gets to do. He gets to participate in the work of God. This is not about the words of man or his eloquence. It's the work of God. The most eloquent and gifted teacher of the word said this, in John 6:44, Jesus says, No one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me attracts and draws him and gives him the desire to come to me, and then I will raise him up from the dead at the last day. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, it's not my methodology. It is the power of the Father through me that is drawing you. It is the power of God that brings you. It is the power of God that keeps you. So Paul, the apostle, having been named among those to whom the people were dividing themselves unto, makes it clear that it is not his preaching or his baptizing that brought them to salvation. Their allegiance belongs to Christ alone, and in him there is no division. We have a point of union. As the body of Christ, we are one. We are in union with him, and we are in union with one another. I know that may be distasteful to some, but that is the reality. We have been made one. There is a point of union, and when there is division, it is incumbent upon us to recognize that point of union, to draw unto that center. 
Because it's only at that point that we may agree. There will always be conflicts in the flesh of man. Flesh always divides. It's going to happen. It is miraculous, and people often point to the divisions in the church and how many of them have separated and fallen apart. I want to tell you it is miraculous that so many haven't. Because it is God who holds them together. It is not a name or denomination. It is God himself. It is them being drawn to a central truth, and that is Christ and him as life. So, when we glory in something other than Jesus, we allow ourselves to be divided. When we glory in the work of the flesh, we become blind to the work of the Spirit. And Paul is saying that in this verse, he's not saying that we can deprive the cross of its power to save, but we, are, we reduce it to the work of men. Therefore, we do not appreciate its true glory and the revelation of its power. You know, it's unbelief that robs us in these things. Here's the reality of it. When I allow myself to be focused upon the works of man or my own works, I lose the truth of the sovereignty, the presence, the power, and the love of God. When I look at the distractions of the temporal, and you know what? The temporal is all around us, and the temporal is constantly calling us to give ourselves to circumstance, to give ourselves to situations, to perceptions. It's always calling to us through, through our jobs, through our families, through disagreements, through relationship. It always wants us to look away from who we are. But the minute we look away from who we are, we lose the truth of God's sovereignty, God's love and God's power in our lives and we become hopeless we become hopeless does that mean God's power is reduced no it means that we do not avail ourselves to the confidence and abundance of that power that lies within us and you know it's equally true that even when things go our way When we place confidence in what we have done or what others have done on our behalf and have and set aside the sovereignty and the work of God, we become blind to the revelation that that circumstance or situation was designed to bring to us. The blessings of God. I hear the I hear the constant comment that, yes, I am blessed. But it's almost like tipping your hat to God in many cases. The reality of it, whether good or bad, God has allowed it in your life in order for you to see the eternal worth of the Spirit of God and His union with you, rather than to place your faith, your hope, your affections in the temporal and in the flesh. We are to have confidence in Him. So no matter what happens in our lives, this is that abundance this is that confidence this is that that foundational truth that holds us in place it says you know what no matter what comes across my path no matter what i may encounter nothing changes the foundational truth that i am his and he is mine and my security my hope my life is in him can we trust in that Absolutely. It is unbelief that robs us of confidence. It's unbelief that invites fear. In verse 18, Paul goes on to point out man's inability to receive the message of the cross without the work of the Spirit. 
And notice there are two people mentioned in this verse. The lost who refuse to believe and are perishing. And the believer. There are only two. We are not divided on any other line. Did you see that? Paul doesn't mention any other line. He says the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And the believer. Those are the two he mentions. Paul is literally addressing the perception of that day because to the Romans, to the Greeks, to the Jews, the message of the cross was foolishness. It just didn't make sense. It did not make sense at all. The people of that day, and you have to kind of pull yourself back into their circumstance or their situation or their society, the people of that day had a familiarity with the cross. They could not go out of their house and move amongst around in the city without encountering pictures of the cross. Not, I'm not talking about the dainty little jewelry that we wear. I'm talking about true, rugged, wooden crosses that were, on which hung men who were in various stage of death and dying. It was a cruel fixture. And it was also an edifice to the justice of the Roman Empire, to the power of man. It's very difficult for them who, who walk around these things and they see these things hanging all over the place to, to see the cross as anything other than the, the end of man, the basis for the guilt of man. That's all they could see it. So when, when Christians went around talking about their God being on the cross, you can see why that didn't make any sense to them. It was foolishness to them. All the gods of the Romans and the Greeks had one characteristic in common. Do you know what that was? They were immortal. They were immortal. And yet we worship a God who literally died on the cross. That didn't make sense to them. That just sounded foolish. Why would you worship somebody that man could take and put on the cross and literally take his life from him? That's absurd. In fact, the Greek word there is the word we, we get our word moronic from. That's what they felt about it. And it was mocked. It was literally mocked. In fact, it was literally a point of derision. They would use the cross as a curse word. That's how foul it became. You know, the Romans crucified somewhere around 30,000 people and did it on a regular basis. And there wasn't appeal after appeal after appeal. Brother, after they said you were done, you were done. And they crucified these people and they put them in a place of prominence, usually at the crossroads or on a highway where everybody had to pass by it. Or they put it up on the high places so that the silhouette of the sun would make sure everybody saw it. Every man, woman, and child had an intimate acquaintance of the sight, agony, the smell of death through the cross. They knew what it was about. So when they heard that the Christian was worshiping a God who died upon the cross, they said, what kind of God is this? For them, it was a symbol of pain and torture. It was a horribly cruel death from which there were no survivors. They couldn't associate it to a God of love. They couldn't associate it to redemption. So in Paul's day, the idea or the message of the cross was intellectually unacceptable. Now, they couldn't see what the cross has done for us, could they? Why? Because they had not either A, had, or B, received. In other words, took in the revelation the Spirit gave. And you know, here's the thing. 
in the point of salvation, what we see is our need and God's salvation. That's what we see. Most of us are fairly limited in our vision of what Christ has done for us when we receive him. We don't understand that he not only took our sins, but that he gave us life. And we don't understand what that life means to us in our day-to-day living. For those who believe the cross was the place where we died with Christ, the cross was the place where our godless, hopeless selves died and we were released from our slavery to sin. Romans 6.6 6 says, We know that our old, unrenewed self was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body, which is an instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil, that we might no longer be slaves of sin. That's right. The old self died on the cross. And the new, new creation was raised and resurrected with Christ in union with with Christ. And we put on the old man's suit. <laughs> we're wearing the old man's suit, but it doesn't suit us, does it? <laughs> and one day we're going to give that up too. Yes, it was a place of death, but what died there gave way to new life for us. We died with Christ in order that we might live in Christ. And you know this verse, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. In him I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ, the Messiah, lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in, by adherence to, and reliance on, and complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Paul says, this is what the cross means to those of us who are saved who are, now I want you to look at that verse, who are what? Being saved. This is what the cross means to those of us who are being, present tense, saved. Now, I thought Paul was already saved, didn't you? You say, "Uh uh-oh, where's he going? (laughs) Yeah, he was saved. He had eternal salvation, but Paul is speaking of a salvation that is ongoing. And if you've been coming to this fellowship for very long, you've heard me speak on this many times. You see, the Christians in the Corinthian fellowship, they did not need eternal salvation, but they did need to be saved from their carnality. You say, well, what does that mean? That means that they needed literally a point of salvation from living to the flesh. They needed to make a choice. They needed to understand that there's a way and not the way. They needed to be able to walk away from living to the flesh and begin to live to the Spirit. For the average Christian, salvation refers to the one-time act of being saved for eternity. And while that is true, Paul again is speaking of an ongoing salvation. And, you know, we can see why Paul would bring it up, because here are all of these Christians living in carnality, and they needed to be saved from it. We saw that before we received Christ as our life, as our own life, we lived to the flesh, because we had no other way to live. We didn't have any other option, did we? 
We were literally slaves to sin, so that's the way we lived. That was our perception, that was our understanding, and that was the force, the natural nature of the way we lived. It was natural for us to live in sin, to live according to the flesh, because that was all we had. And Paul said, listen, Christ came, and He took that old unrenewed self, and He nailed it on the cross, so that you... A new self, as we mentioned in Galatians 2.20, might have life. Now that new self has life, and now you have a choice to be saved from carnality. When you walk according to the flesh, it affects your perception. It affects your understanding. It affects the way you see each other. It affects your appreciation for life. It affects your understanding of truth. When you walk according to the flesh, you become a a flesh-centered individual. But that is not who you are. And as I pointed out to you before, Paul mentions at the very beginning of the chapter, he tells them very distinctly who they are. He says, you are saints. You are perfected in Christ. You are consecrated. You are holy. That's who you are. But yet there's these divisions and there's these problems. You've separated yourself out from one another. Why is that? Paul knew exactly what was going on. He says, you have become carnal. What is he saying? That's not a disease you catch like a cold. That is a choice you make where you decide that this body, this flesh, and your perceptions of the people around you is your reality, it is your context, it is your center for living. And you begin to live that way and there's divisions and there's competition and there's comparison. Paul says, for those of us who are being saved, for those of us who are being saved, we recognize the power of the cross. Why? Because the power of the cross, the death of that old man, the newness of life that I received in him, is what has delivered me from selfishness, from pride, from comparison, from doubt, from fear, from all the things that have robbed me from an abundant life. Now, what it hasn't delivered me from, the cross did not deliver me from problems. The cross did not deliver me from fleshy people around me. The cross did not deliver me from runaway emotions. The cross did not deliver me from suggestions from the enemy. The cross did not deliver me from a sinful world. Well, why not? Because God had a purpose in mind. That you literally live out the work of the cross in your day-to-day living. In your choices. That you choose that you will not live carnal according to the flesh as though your center was just meat. That's really what that means. That you would not live that way, but you would choose to live according to who you are in Christ. For those of us who are being saved, you've heard me say this before, God wants to save you from your flesh in your marriage, in your job, in your health, in every circumstance. He doesn't want to deliver you from problems. If He did, you'd be delivered. One day we will be. We'll be in heaven. 
But you know what? This unique opportunity of knowing his salvation moment by moment, day by day, recognizing that every day you get up and you you open your eyes that this is the day where you will behold the salvation of the Lord. This is a day in which you will repeatedly in your decisions and your choices in what God does around you see God's salvation through the cross. Huh. Well, what do you mean? I'm going to die? No. You're going to recognize that that old man that would have chosen that path, that that old man that was enslaved to sin, that that old man that once gave itself to wickedness, that gave itself to selfishness, that gave itself to futility, that old man is dead because of the cross. And the life that you have is resurrection life. When you embrace that by faith, you are being saved. I'm not talking about eternal salvation. Don't go out of here and say we've changed our theology. That's not at all what I'm talking about. I'm talking about embracing by faith the truth of your salvation and living according to it. It's a powerful verse. A powerful reality. And it's not just in this one verse. We see it over and over again. Over and over again, he tells us, renew your mind. Over and over again, he tells us, walk according to the Spirit. Over and over again, he tells you, do not be conformed. In every one of those functions and actions that he calls you to, he is calling you by obedience to enter in by faith into the salvation that God has provided you. You are being saved. When you choose to believe when everything around you goes south, you're being saved. We are called to live in the choice. We're called to live in our choosing of the Spirit. We do not live this life by the help of God. We live this life by His life within us. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.